0: Today, we want to uh, just take a few moments of thinking about the joy of restoration. Last week, we focused our attention on peace, being the second Sunday of Advent. And today, being the third Sunday, we do want to focus our attention on joy. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35. When we think of joy, it is specifically a Christian trait. It goes beyond happiness. Someone once said happiness comes from happenings, but joy comes from Jesus. Your happiness may fluctuate up or down, and it will fluctuate depending on your circumstances, depending on what's happening around you or even just depending on how your day has been but joy joy is a more deep-seated emotion it's an inner contentment a fulfillment that says no matter what life is throwing at me no matter what I'm experiencing in this moment God's got me and I'm going to just be joyous in this moment That's what the apostle Paul understood when he wrote from that jail cell, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul understood that even in a prison cell, and I'm not talking about a place where he had a comfortable mattress, a place where there was air conditioning and heat, a place where he had three meals a day, But he was chained to a guard in a rat-infested dungeon. And he had no relief from this while he was there. And he said, rejoice. (laughs) And again, I say rejoice. He understood what joy was all about. When we look in chapter 35, we begin to hear the prophet Isaiah as he is Sharing with those exiles, those who have been taken out of Jerusalem. He's sharing with those even who are left in Jerusalem, and he's sharing with those who are captive in Babylon to, that we can rejoice and we can have joy because a better day's coming. And are you looking forward to a better day? Yeah i 'm convinced the more and the more the more and more I read the more and more i study i 'm convinced if we 'll just look to that better day then we won 't let the world beat us down as much, and if we'll look to that better day we 'll find that no matter what the world throws at us it 's okay it 's okay. When we look here in this passage, the Bible tells us in these ten verses of this chapter. He says, the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice. Even with joy and singing, the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The excellence of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord. The excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing for water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool in the thirsty land, springs of water in the habitation of jackals, which are which each lay, there shall be grass and reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Yes. This is God's promise to us. This is God's promise to his people. Pray with us. God, we, we just thank you for what we have to look forward to. Such a glorious time. We'll be in your presence and all will be well. God, I'm not talking about the time that we just leave this earth, but I'm talking about the time when your son sets his kingdom, establishes his kingdom in Jerusalem, and and he reigns for that millennial time. God, what a time that will be. Oh, will there be peace on earth. There'll be hope. There'll be joy. There'll be love. But God, there'll be a greater day than that. A day when it's... All said and done. And we're going to bask in your glory for all eternity. A day where all things will be made new. God, we look forward to that day. We're trusting you. But as we're here, our hearts are heavy. We are burdened. But God, we are placing our hope in you. And for those who have no hope, who haven't placed their hope in you, God, we pray that you would touch their hearts right now. Move and minister upon them. help them God to see their need for Savior if they ever want to see a better day and God will praise you for all that's accomplished in Jesus name we do pray amen yeah in through school they tell us that as soon as you've read the scripture as quickly as possible get to the scripture (laughs) And and I, I just want to take a couple minutes right here to go against some of that and, and just share, just help us to make sure we understand what's taking place here as Isaiah is prophesying to the people. This passage, God is issuing a wonderful promise. Someday in the future, the earth is going to be transformed. It won't be as we know it today. It will be a place that is perfect. It will be a a joyous place during a joyous time here on earth. This is a glorious description of of the Messiah's kingdom, what's known as the millennial reign of Christ, and it will take place here on earth. This will take place after the rapture of the church. It will take after after the tribulation time, um, or during the tribulation time, those who who fail to take the mark of the beast, those who commit to following Christ, those who believe those 144,000 Jews who are, who are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, those who believe the two witnesses that come back to share about the truth of God's word, those who choose to believe this, they will be tortured, they will go through much to not take the mark of the beast. And those who refuse to take it, those who who are not killed and murdered, they will be those who endure unto the end. And because they endure unto the end of the tribulation time, they shall be saved. Now we see that passage or those words in Matthew's gospel but I want us to understand that that is speaking specifically about those who get through the tribulation. Those who get through this, they're going to enter into a millennial reign of Christ. A time when Christ has, has purged the land. He has bound Satan for a thousand years and cast him into a bottomless pit. And he's sitting on the throne of David as king of kings and Lord of Lords. For those during that time that He's established His rule, everyone will obey. Because when He comes back during that time, He's not coming back as He came when He was Mary's baby. <laughs> he's not coming back as He was when they wrapped Him in swaddling clothes and laid Him in a manger. He's not coming back the lamb of God. He's coming back the lion out of the tribe of Judah. He's coming back to rule and to reign. And as he rules and reigns, he will be obeyed. Because all that will be there in that time, in that moment when he sets his throne, are those who love him, those who follow him, those who've received him. Now, during the millennial reign, we're talking about a thousand years, there will be marriage and giving into marriage, and there will be those who will have children. And, and, and so at the end of that millennial reign, there's going to be there are going to be those who obeyed but they didn't believe. And Satan will be loosed again for a season. We don't know how long that season's going to be, but it'll be loose for a season. And those who have not received Jesus as their Savior will once again be tempted and tried. And once again, those who endure unto the end so they shall be saved. You know, we may wonder why is it like that during those times, those dispensations of times? Because the Holy Spirit won't be dwelling as it dwells with us now. Amen. Amen. When we read this passage, we see Isaiah is speaking about that time. He's speaking about the millennial reign of Christ when Christ sets his throne in heaven. But he's speaking during the time where the Babylonians had been taken have taken captive of Jerusalem they have taken the best and the brightest of the Hebrews captive to their land and they've carried them to to use them to uh for their own good and and others have been scattered while it was leaving the weak and the disabled there in Jerusalem amongst the ruins of Jerusalem to fend for themselves they were left there because Nebuchadnezzar had no worry of them rising up or bringing a revolt against him. Yes, those captive, those exiled, and those that are left alone would be like this for 70 years. Now, 70 years before the return, that had to bring discouragement. That had to bring trouble to their hearts and minds for if it's going to be 70 years before things get any better many would not see Jerusalem restored many would not see what God would actually do they would die as captives they would die as exiles some would die even their pillaging around this place that is in ruin but Isaiah shares some things to give them, that gives them joy Isaiah prophesied that even though the land is in ruins at this time, that the land would become splendid. What I want us to see here is that Jerusalem is pillaged. It is in ruins, and those who are, are left are those that Nebuchadnezzar just saw them as no threat to his kingdom. Can we imagine? I just want us to think for a moment here. Can we imagine those exiles from Jerusalem, how discouraged they must have been as being forced out of Jerusalem, and it was, it was falling to the ground. And Isaiah even calls this place here in the first verse a wilderness and a wasteland that's all that was left it was nothing but a wilderness and a wasteland that was their current condition but he goes on to say that it will rejoice and be glad for them. He, he is saying that the land would not remain in its current condition. He is saying that the circumstances of Jerusalem would change. And I want us to understand that, that we can't allow our circumstances that we are in today define who we are. Instead, our relationship with God is who what defines us. This can only happen when we have a relationship with God. It can only happen when we know Jesus Christ. Christ as our lord and savior when we have re- received him the only begotten son as christ as our as our uh, as our lord and savior then we can know that we belong to him and that's where our identity lies if we remember in jeremiah twenty nine five through eight the Bible tells us in there that, that God tells the prophet to, uh, to go to the exiles of Judah and, he, and, and tell them to settle down to build houses to plant vineyards they were to marry and to start families they were to have children so the population would increase. Here they were taking captive, here they were as exiles here they were left in the ruins of Judah, and God is telling them to go on with their life they are to speak they are to the peace and the prosperity for Babylon. And they were told to pray that God would grant peace to Babylon because God, un- cause God understood that the more peace that Babylon was in, the better conditions it would be for those who were, had been taken captive. While their circumstances might have looked dim, while it looked like all hope was lost, God is telling them that everything is not lost. Yes, their land was destroyed. Yes, they were captives and exiles. Yes, their circumstances, yes, this was their circumstance but their circumstance did not define who they were because even though their land was in ruins even though they were captives and exiles they were still the children of god and god was with them their circumstance was not their identity and i want us to understand that greatly that no matter what you're going through, no matter where you're at right now in life, whatever's taking place around you doesn't define who you are. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he defines who you are. Iola and I watched a movie last week about, that centered on this, our identity and who we really are. And I, I believe some of us, if we're asked... We'll give a laundry list of things or or positions or titles that we have if we're asked, who are we? But in this movie, we get down to the heart of the matter. We get down to what is real. I wanted you to watch a clip. We've got a clip put together, and if it'll play correctly, watch this clip and just think about your own life. John. If I asked you who you are, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I'm a basketball coach. And if that's stripped away? Well, I'm also a history teacher. Okay. We take that away. Who are you? Well, I'm a husband. I'm a father. And God forbid that should ever change. But if it does, who are you? I don't understand this game. It's not a game, man. Who are you? Um, I'm a white American male. (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) Is there anything else? Well, I'm a Christian. And what's that mean? It means follower of Christ. And how important is that? It's very important. Interesting. Hi, so far down your list. Okay, wait a minute. I could have easily said Christian first. Yeah, but you didn't. Look, John. Your identity will be tied to whatever you give your heart to. Doesn't sound like the Lord asked first place. You're calling me a bad Christian? Let me be a little direct. Last time you were here, you said you'd pray for me. Did you? No. No. For someone who knows the Lord, you're acting like somebody who doesn't. Which makes me wonder, what have you allowed to define you? When you lost your team, it didn't just disappoint you. It devastated you. Something or someone will have first place in your heart. But when you find your identity in the one who created you, it'll change your whole perspective. Does this hit home? Where does our identity lie? I imagine these who had been left without a home, these who had been taken captive, these who were left to fend for themselves, I imagine it destroyed them, but they were the people of God. What has destroyed us? What has come into our lives? Has it been a storm that God has brought us through? Has he taken someone that we thought belonged to us, but, he, but they belong to him, and he is much better at taking care of them than we are? Amen. What is it that's devastated us to the point that we haven't given him preeminence? The word we put Christ low on the list of things that define us. Here's a basketball coach who lost, he lost his team because of a because of a plant shutting down in the community or in that town. And and here he is, he's utterly destroyed. when he's got a home in glory to look forward to. I believe Isaiah wanted them to understand that it may look bad right now. It may be dark. You may feel like your life is destroyed or in shambles, but, but you're not defined by what's going on around you. You're defined by the man who loves you, who created you, who took care of you. Did he let the Israelites walk on dry ground through a red sea? He'll do that for them. Amen. He'll do it for us. Oh, what joy it is to be able to say that my identity is not wrapped up in what this world says about me. Neither is it wrapped up in how I feel because sometimes I feel lost. Sometimes I feel like I can't go on. Sometimes I feel like I need to just leave this world, but I'm so glad that's not who I am. My identity's not wrapped up in a social status, it's not wrapped up in, in my financial status, but I'm a child of God and, and Christ has preeminence in my life and my identity must be wrapped up in him and who he says I am. I may not always feel saved, but he's told me I'm saved for eternity. I may not always feel like a, like I'm somebody, but he's promised me that he'd never leave me, he'd never forsake me. He's promised me I'm an heir to the throne of God. He's promised me I'm, an elder, I'm a brother to my elder brother, Jesus Christ. He's promised me that I'm his and he's mine. And when this world is getting me down, I'm so glad there's a Holy Spirit that God will just allow to live with us and abide with us. And if if we'll open our ears, we'll hear him say, it doesn't matter what's taking place, I've got you. Yes. Yes. No matter what our circumstances look like, God can change them. And that's what he says he's going to do here this dry desert land of the earth, it, it will go under a, a dramatic change. The soil is going to be filled with rich nutrients, the vegetation will blossom, so each will so that it it, it will seem to break through as shouts of joy. Water will flow in the wilderness and in the desert streams and rivers will flow across the face of the earth. Pools will replace desert sand. Oh, how does that take place? Only by the God of glory. Springs will flow out of dry ground. Plants will grow everywhere in a land that is laying in ruins. In that day, the glory and splendor of God will be seen by all people. Isaiah 33 and 17 says, Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. That lets me know that I'm not just wishful thinking. That one day I'm going to see Jesus for myself. I'm going to see the King of kings and the Lord of lords. One day I'm going to be in his presence. And I'll see him for who he is. Oh, this lets us know that when our circumstances look like God has deserted us, we can trust that he's always with us. Deuteronomy 31 and 8 tells us, And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Yes, the land will be splendid. It may look like it's nothing now, but Isaiah says just hold on. Soon and very soon. It may seem like 70 years is a long time, but there's coming a day when it'll be made splendid. But Isaiah gives them more joy. As you look in verses 3, 6 through uh, 3 through 6, or at least the first part of 6, we see that the weak will be strengthened. Isaiah is telling the weak and the fearful exiles not to look at what is in front of them, but instead they should look to a glorious future that God has promised them. He tells them to strengthen the the weak hands and to make firm the feeble knees. He tells the fearful to be strong and do not fear. He reminds them that God will come and he will avenge them and he will save them. You know, the only way they'd be able to remain strong in their circumstances was to put their faith in God's promises. It's it's through God's word that we find strength when we are weak. It's through God's word that we don't allow our fears to conquer us. It's through God's word that we rest in the truth that he will fight for us. Joshua 1 and 9 says... Have I not commanded you, be strong and be of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Oh, so it doesn't matter when I'm weak, he is there. (laughs) It doesn't matter when I'm stumbling, he is there. It doesn't matter when I've fallen, he is there. when this glorious transformation on earth takes place, all the disabled believers will be healed and restored to health. All the blind will be able to see, the deaf will be able to hear, the lame will leap like deer, and those who cannot speak will shout for joy. Let's take a deeper look at that. When Isaiah says this, that the blind will see and the deaf will hear and the lame will leap and the dumb will shout. He's telling us more than what's before us. Let's look at just this part of the blind will see. He says that the eyes of the blind will be open. Now, spiritually speaking, it appears that he's not really talking about vision it's not a matter of how good the vision will be but it's about being able to behold the presence of God around us in John 9 we read where Jesus healed a man who had been born blind John tells us that Jesus picked up dirt spit on it and made clay and from that he, he put it upon the man's eyes and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam and when he did this he came back he was able to see Now, everyone was astonished. Everyone was amazed. They were rejoicing except the Pharisees. The Pharisees seem to be angry when you read chapter 9. They're not angry because the man can now see, but they're angry at what the man tells them took place for him to be able to see. Oh, you're not with me, are you? The man told them that what everything Jesus had done for him, but they couldn't get it. How could a poor blind man see what was hidden from their eyes? Here they were, the religious leaders of the day. They were, if anybody was going to be able to see the truth in what happened, it should have been them. For they had been studying the scriptures. They had been reading what Isaiah and Jeremiah had said. They had been reading all about the promise of God that the Savior would come. And they would call his name Emmanuel. They had, they had, been, had been prophesied and they read and they studied it. But they weren't able to see it. They were still blind. Even though they were the religious leaders. Oh... <laughs> yeah it should have been them. do you remember when you were like those Pharisees? <laughs> I remember when I was like them. I remember when I was blind to what God was doing around me. I remember when I was deaf to what God was saying to me. I remember that I was once lame and couldn't run to him or or may I say for better words, I would not run to him. I remember when i was when I was dumb and would not call upon him. Oh, but what joy I found when in my weakness, he made me strong. And in that moment is when I was at a crossroads in my life that I had to choose whether I was going to believe or reject Christ. I was at a time when I had, it seemed to me that I had to make a choice And just live with the consequences. It it appeared to me that this wasn't gonna give me another opportunity. And I had to do something right then. And I chose to believe. I humbled myself. And I chose to believe. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, he opened my eyes. To where I could see he was all around me. He opened my eyes to truth that I'd never known. He opened my eyes to, to see that he was at work in everything that had been happening in my life. He not only opened my eyes, but he opened my ears to where I could hear when he was speaking. And not not wonder what's going on, but know that this is the Holy Spirit of God speaking to me. And he gave me a new walk. Let me say it better. He gave me the right walk And he gave me the right talk. All because at that crossroad, I chose to no longer be blind. Uh, There's some here today who's still walking blind. Some of you today, you're at the crossroad and you've got to make a decision. And and you have no idea when when, when the the ultimatum is right there in front of you, when you won't have another opportunity. But what decision are you going to make? Are you going to leave this place blind? Or are you going to leave this place able to see? As we cannot approach God on our own terms. We must come to him with childlike faith. We approach him humbled, believing in his son. And then his presence will become very clear to us. We not only feel his presence, but, we, but he will reveal what he's doing all around us. Make no mistake. God's working around us all right now. How do I know that? (laughs) From 2005 to 2019, we've buried over over more than what they consider a small Baptist church. (laughs) And we've got more today than we had then. And folks, I'm not that good a preacher. I'm not that smart a man and neither are you that good a people or that smart a people but God is at work around us and because he is we ought to glorify his name. We ought to be joyful today. Yeah we not only feel his presence but he reveals to us that he's at work. My question today is are you, are you like the Pharisees? Or are you like the blind man? In other words, I'm asking, are you blind? Or can you now see? We're getting ready to close up with this. Oh, what joy. What joy it is to know that there's coming a day when the land will be splendid. Yeah, today we look around and it's much better than it was when Jerusalem was in ruins. But there's coming a day when it'll be much better than what we've ever imagined. There's coming a day also when, though we're weak, we will be strengthened. But he encourages them with the fact that there's coming a highway for the sanctified. In Isaiah's day, traveling along the roads was often dangerous. the danger was due to the wild animals the these and natural obstacles such as deep ravines narrow paths on the sides of hills but in the Messiah's kingdom there's going to be a highway of holiness this is a highway that's going to be perfectly safe there'll be no dangerous animals there'll be no dangerous people traveling this highway all the unclean and wicked of the world will be removed from the earth we see that verses 8 Through verse 10. Only the redeemed will be living upon the earth at that time. So the highway is going to pose no threat to anyone. Isaiah 43 through 5 describes it this way The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted at every mountain and hill brought low. (laughs) He's telling us it's going to be a smooth road. Isn't he? In that day. In that day. The crooked places will be made straight. The rough places smooth. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know what the purpose of this highway is is to give is to provide direction for those who have been redeemed to return to the lord that's the purpose of the highway and today for the church age for us (laughs) our highway is jesus christ the son of god he is our only way to God. Jesus said in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is our only access to God, and no other way will direct us to Him. did this world wants to tell us that there are many ways to God? They they call us short-sighted. They say we're out of touch with the time. They tell us we're arrogant for thinking that our God is the only way, or or our Savior is the only way to God. They they tell us that we're fanatics for believing even this they can call us what they want to call us but Jesus is the only one who was born of a virgin he's the only one who lived a sinless life he's the only one who gave up his life It was buried in a tomb and arose under his own power he's the only one who has rescued and reconciled us to God the father he is our only way to God Good for Good for Amen. this road we're traveling isn't quite as smooth as the road that Isaiah is describing we know that it's a straight and a narrow road and and we want to think that we have to walk in a straight line from point A to point B but but I just don't believe that's what God's talking about in his word. I believe when he tells us it's a straight and narrow road, it's straight behind his son for his son has come and been the example to us and if we'll walk straight behind him, he'll take us over the obstacles, he'll take us under the obstacles, he'll take us around the obstacles and he'll take us through the obstacles. He will lead us if we'll just follow him oh what a great and straight road it is to follow behind him sad thing is that there's a second road today and it's broad and there's many who find it and while the straight and narrow road few find it it leads to everlasting joy, peace, and hope. It leads to eternal life. But that wide, that broad road, it leads to destruction. Here, in this time, Isaiah is prophesying of, there's gonna be a road that leads to Christ. And everyone who walks that road will know him. Can you imagine a time when you can walk anywhere you want to go (laughs) and not have to worry about anything? When I was a a child at the age of 10 and 11, my folks, we lived a, a little over a mile from the elementary school. I played basketball on weekends. And in playing basketball, it was nothing for me to run down the side of the road at 10, 11, and 12 years of age to the school. I had to run because I needed to exercise because the coach was going to run our eyes out. And then I'd, after practice, I'd run home. It was nothing that during the summertime to be able to take my bike and, and go down trails and go to the park, which was almost two miles away. Just say, I'm gone to the park jump on the bike and go. Or I'm going to the park, I'll be walking and just leave out the door and go. Uh, My daughter's 24 years old. She's not a child no more. She's a grown woman and I'd want to wring her neck if she got on the side of the road walking without somebody with her now. But there's coming a day. (laughs) and There's a highway that we can walk on and no one will disturb us. For we'll be all going to the same place. Oh yeah, oh what joy it is to know Jesus. What a joy it is to have our identity in Christ. Because when we have our identity in Christ, no matter what our circumstances, The world may be falling apart around us. We can still have joy. We may be weak and feeble, but we can still have joy. Have you ever went to visit someone in a nursing home or in a hospital? Hoping to uplift them. And you leave there uplifted. (laughs) That's joy that only the Lord can give. Oh, what joy it is to know that we found the road to our Father and it comes by our elder brother, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, if you don't know this joy, you can get to know it. <laughs> I, I tell you, all I done was said, I believe. Forgive me. Thank you for being my Savior. And the joy of the Lord just filled my soul. I haven't felt the way I felt in that moment all the time. Oh, but it comes. (laughs) And when it comes, it's like a rushing river flowing. The joy of the Lord can be yours, but you must receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior.